Welcome to Night Sky Tourist, a place to learn the night sky, have fun with its ancient stories, meet astronomers and dark sky advocates, and fall in love with the dark. I'm Vicki Dirksen, your host and author of the website and blog, nightskytourist.com. If you've never visited the website, I invite you to stop by after the podcast. Check out some of the great blog articles, browse through the resource page, and sign up for the newsletters. The newsletters have great content that is exclusive for subscribers. Are you ready for an adventure under the night sky? Let's jump right in. It could just be because I'm a bookworm, but I love giving great books to kids that I know that they'll love. I think that every adult has warm memories of a favorite book from their childhood. When I started learning about the night sky as an adult, I kept thinking, I wish I had learned this stuff when I was a kid. So I keep my radar turned up really high for great night sky themed books for kids. I usually find the best ones when I'm on a road trip and I hit up a small local bookstore or visit the gift shop at National Parks and Monuments. In this episode, I had the thrill and pleasure of chatting with several children's book authors and illustrators who have created beautiful books about night sky themes. Each of these books are so unique and would make great additions to the bookshelves of all the kids in your life. Grandkids, nieces and nephews, your own kids, or even the kids next door. Whether you're shopping for the holidays, birthdays, get well gifts, or any other occasion, I hope that one of these books makes it into your shopping cart. And guess what? I'm going to give away a bundle of all five of the books you're about to meet. So stay tuned for how you can enter the drawing. The first children's book I want to share with you is from Paul Bogard. Paul wrote my very favorite book about the night sky and the growing problem of light pollution. It's called The End of Night. Paul is a master at writing page-turning nonfiction in a way that pulls you in as if you were reading fiction. But he's also written a delightful children's book that will help kids fall in love with the night. Well, I have with me Paul Bogard. He is the author of several books about the night sky, but he has a really, really special book for children about the night sky. Paul, share with us a little bit about this book. Yeah, this book is called What If Nights? And uh, the title actually used to be longer. It was, I think, something like What If Night Never Came? Um, We just cut it down. But the basic story is of a little girl and her dog who um, start off kind of thinking like, what if night never came? It would, that'd be so great. We could just do all the daytime stuff all the, all the time. We'd never have to go to bed. We could just keep playing. And um, they start to realize that it's really great that night comes because all these other wonderful things happen at night and different animals and uh, insects uh, and other life come out at night and the stars come out and the moon comes out and uh, the dream, your dreams come. And it just, it, it's all, it's a book about all these wonderful things that, that night holds for us and for all life on earth. And you've mentioned to me that you have a four-year-old daughter. How has that changed your perception of the night sky when you have a young child now? 
Yeah, I mean, on sort of one level, there's that, you know, pointing out the moon to her and, and having her start to recognize it when she sees it and points to it and says moon or um, stars or planets, she can identify those. But also, I think, being conscious of the fact that, you know, we live in Minneapolis, and it's you know major American city, we're, we're just not seeing anything close to a natural night sky. And so consciously thinking about how will I give her the experience that I've had, which is um, getting to, to see a, a night sky, getting to see a Milky Way, getting to see a, a sky that's um, that awes you. Because I, I think she's fascinated and interesting. I don't think she's had that awe, that awe experience yet of just, you know, so many stars, you, you're just, your mouth falls <laughs> open. So we're, you know, very fortunate. We have a family cabin in Northern Minnesota that's where the sky is is still pretty dark. And so she'll get to have that experience. But are there places that we might be able to go to really give her that experience that, you know, used to be a common experience that everybody had, and now is something that, that most kids um, don't get to experience? Well, so as we're talking in this episode about books about the night sky for kids, you know, my hope is that people will buy these books for their kids and and have their kids really start to understand this world that maybe, like you said, they are not seeing, but then to also give their their kids the gift of the night sky, take them to those places. Such a remarkable gift. I think so. And, I, and you know, I always talk about how um, you don't have to wait until uh, you can get to, you know, some incredibly dark place right I mean that that is valuable and as I was just saying I, I I'm thinking about how I can do that but even just inviting your kids out into the backyard at night and having that experience of you know what's it what's it sound like and smell like what's you know what what does the moon look like when it's rising even if you're in a city and and just give them that experience of it's okay to be out at night and it's mm-hmm. it can be fun to be out at night and it's not you know this dangerous scary place that too often we're, we're told it is. Thank you so much for taking time to talk about your book. And I really hope people get out there and grab it. Thank you very much. In the early days of Night Sky Tourist, when so few people knew that it existed, Marsha Diane Arnold found me online and she sent me an email that sparked a friendship. Her newest children's book at that time, Lights Out, was about to be published And she sweetly asked me if she could send me a copy of the book to review on my website. I was deeply honored and I embraced the opportunity. The book arrived and I was blown away. It had never occurred to me that an abstract topic like light pollution could be introduced so beautifully to such young readers. In addition to writing that review on the Night Sky Tourist blog, I also invited Marsha to be a guest on episode two of this podcast. We have stayed in touch since, and I am thrilled to have her here with me again to talk about her wonderful book. Marsha, I'm so thrilled to have you back on the Night Sky Tourist podcast. You joined us in the very, very early days of of this venture that I'm doing. Yes, I did. And I have been following your podcast, Vicki, and it's fabulous. There's just so informa- so much information in it. Oh, thank you so much. I love it. Coming up on the holidays, I have a special place in my heart for your book. 
for children called Lights Out. And the reason that I, it's so special to me is because it's the very first children's book I've ever come across that dealt with light pollution for such a young audience. And I just thought it was so remarkable that you were able to take I, kind of this abstract idea in a way, for kids anyway, and to put it into a book that can make sense for such a young audience. So tell us a little bit about your book. We don't want you to give it away, but tell us a little bit about your book. Thank you, Vicki. Yes. And I do think our children can understand these abstract concepts um, much more than we we might believe that they can. Mm -hmm. And I especially love to use animals in my picture books because I think that children relate to animals so easily, at least I do. I always did as a child. And so in my book, Fox and Beetle are lamenting the fact that there are lights everywhere and they can't hunt or sleep. And so they go out into the wide, wide world to search for true darkness. And as they do, they meet other animals, frogs that their singing is affected, bears, turtles, turtle hatchlings that can't find their way to the ocean. And they, they all join together to search for darkness. And I love that story because I agree with you. Kids relate so much to animals and they just have such an affinity for them. And you've just done such a good job of bringing that story together. And I love just looking at the pictures. You had an amazing illustrator and the pictures are so neat because I, I suppose this is how a children's book is supposed to work, where there's more story than just the words that are there. Yes, we as authors always want to leave space for the illustrator to add their imagination into the story. And Susan Reagan did this absolutely stunning work um, when she illustrated the book. And she shows the brightness of all of the artificial lights that are inundating us. And then in the end, she shows the beauty of all of the natural lights and following my story. And I've said before to you, I think that I was concerned because I did not know how an illustrator was going to handle the lights in the book. And Susan just did this amazing job. The first image that my editor sent me of her work, I thought, oh, thank goodness, this is brilliant. And I have to say that the publisher creative company, they're an independent book publishing company, but they are known for the absolutely gorgeous books that they put out. I can vouch for that. And then you also created some extra material that people can get online to go along with that. Tell us about that. Yes, I did. We, we created uh, activities for Lights Out, and you can go to my website, MarshaDianeArnold.com, and just look up Lights Out, and it'll take it. You'll you'll easily find the activities. And those activities are great for educators and parents alike, right? Absolutely, the school teachers love to have those available. Thank Marcia, you. thank you so much for joining us again, and I can't wait for people to 
get acquainted with your book, Lights Out, and your other work. And so we'll have all of the information in the show notes for people to click on and, and get to your great books. Wonderful. So I hope everyone can turn off some of the artificial lights so that they can see all the beautiful natural light around us. Thank you, Diane. Bye-bye. I kind of despise the way that Amazon tries to suggest other products to me when I'm trying to order something. But one day their suggestion actually led me to a lovely book that warmed my heart so much. It's called Impossible Moon by Brianna McDaniel. I never even read the description before ordering it because the cover won me over the moment that I saw it. The illustrations are dreamy and the story wraps around your heart. It made my day to get to chat with Brianna one-on-one. Brianna, thank you so much for joining me on the Night Sky Tours podcast to talk about your gorgeous book called Impossible Moon. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for reaching out, Vicki. I stumbled upon this book and when I read it, I was blown away because I don't know, there, there's something about the night sky that to me conjures up so much awe and wonder and inspiration. And somehow you've captured all of that in this book. And I'm curious to know where the idea for this story came from. So I talk a little bit about that in the back of the book, but um, I've always been obsessed with the night sky as well. And somehow, some way that got passed down to my niece and my nephew. And so what we're really loving is when we get to see the moon uh, during the day. So I'll pick them up from school and daycare and they're like, there's the moon, there's the moon. You know, we appreciate and we love the sun, but being able to see the moon is fantastic. And so that fascination has always been there. But the idea for this book came from me being in Scotland and looking at a moon that looks so big and so bright that I felt like if I reached out, I could like pull it out of the sky. Um, And I thought about my grandmother at the same time looking at that same moon. My grandmother was sick for a long time and sadly passed away. And so this book is just kind of a reflection on her and what I would have done if I could have done anything, which was touch the moon if I could have, and it would have made her better. But also, yeah, a reflection on never giving up. I love how the illustrations in this book take people not just on this story into the night sky where the moon obviously is strongly featured, but there's star there's stories that combine with different constellations. And I love it because I grew up under really dark skies in Northern Idaho and only knew how to find the Big Dipper. <laughs> <laughs> and so I love that you're bringing those stories into kids at such a young age. That's always also been something weirdly, I never, I really haven't, you know, thought about this much, but I think thinking about the sky, the stars, thinking about the night skies and the stories that are in the stars has also been a big part of um, things that I've loved and been fascinated with, whether it is the stories that Virginia Hamilton has told in books like The People Could Fly, Faith Ringgold's books, and these images that she has of Black girls in the sky. And so there's just those stories that exist and that have always excited me about um, the adventures of folks in, in the sky and talking to the moon and talking to the stars. 
Um, but I also knew that whatever the adventure was that this little girl, Mabel, was going to go on, I didn't want her to feel like she was out there kind of by herself. Mm -hmm. And so it just made sense that the constellations and the stars would offer her guidance and offer her help like they have for generations of people for so long. There's a lot of people, obviously, who live in very urban areas and light pollution blocks out their view of the stars. And so for a lot of people, they don't really get to have that close connection with the stars, uh, but it doesn't matter where you live, you can see the moon. <laughs> and so I, I love this story so much. And, and I love that, you know, you, you're, you're reaching out to young black girls, as you've mentioned. And I hope that, you know, to, for me, I hope it helps them to dream, dream big about, you know, what they can do and I think that we miss out sometimes so much on imagination when we're stuck in our devices and things like that. But you've given young girls such an opportunity to imagine. Have you had a chance to meet any kids who've read this book and have shared with you what they've thought about it? My niece loves the book. She thinks that it is really fun. And the last time I read it aloud was at a bookstore in Decatur, Georgia called um, Brave and Kind. And the owner, Bunny, um, allowed me to join in their celebration. And my niece was like front and center. And she's like, and like clapping and like cheering me on. One of my number one fans. And I appreciate like the support she gives me. But there was also a little girl who was sitting to the side of me. And um, she was just totally, totally into it. I really enjoyed the opportunity to read the book aloud and go on the journey with kids um, when they're moving through Mabel's story alongside me. Um, and every time I get to turn the page and show off one of Tanya Angel's gorgeous illustrations and her paintings, I think is a new revelation for me and for readers. I think too, what's been really cool is having the people who maybe bought it for a niece or for a nephew or for a daughter or a son or a child um, in their life. And then they end up like saying, oh, actually, I need a copy for myself. This is pretty great. <laughs> That's why it's on my shelf, because I was like, this is so beautiful. And the story is so beautiful. And obviously, we don't want to give away this story. But can you share with people kind of what Impossible Moon is about? Yeah, so Impossible Moon is about this little girl named Mabel who wants to be an astronomer. And the opportunity for her to study the skies, the night skies in particular, um, is something that has always just kind of been a dream of hers. And her grandmother is not well. Her grandmother's not doing well. She's sick. Um, and one day her grandmother says to her, if man can touch the moon, then what is impossible? And that idea just sticks in Mabel's head and she thinks and she says to herself, you know, maybe I can make impossible things possible. And that impossible thing for her would be helping to, helping to make sure her grandmother gets better. So she goes on an adventure to touch the moon and I won't tell you what happens, whether she makes it or not, but she definitely gets to spend some time jetting among the stars and you know, talking to different constellations, seeing what's out there in that great big beyond. I think that there's something special in the idea of kids interacting with their grandparents around the night sky because their grandparents 
could see more of the night sky than we see today because light pollution just keeps filling up and filling up our sky. And so I'm always curious talking to older generations myself, even though I'm not a kid anymore, and asking them what it was like for them when they grew up under the night sky. You know, a lot of them grew up in rural areas and um, just hearing their stories of their experience. So I really like that this is also a multi-generational book. It's very sweet. Thank you so much. Buy this book, Buy Impossible Moon for the Kids mm -hmm. in Your Life. It is just a precious book. And tell your illustrator that this is beautiful. Brianna, thank you so much for taking time to share this book with us. It, I'm, I'm very grateful. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me again, Vicki, and thank you for reaching out. I don't remember how I discovered Jamie Hogan's book, Skywatcher, but I do know that the name of the book is what caught my attention first. There's something about the idea of Skywatchers that captures my imagination and it gets me excited. It makes me think of the ancient people who took skywatching seriously and used the sky to help form their cultures. Jamie's book, Skywatcher, is especially relatable to kids who live in bigger cities and can't see very many stars, but they wish that they could. Living on Peaks Island, I'm about three miles from Portland, Maine, which is, you know, the biggest city in the whole state. And mm -hmm. so there's light pollution here. You know, we're three miles out, but we can't see the Milky Way like we used to. Mm -hmm. And so there was also an article in the, in the, in the press Herald, the local paper, and it was let there be Tark. It was like, it was the front of the, I don't know if you can see that, mm -hmm. but it was this great photo of the night sky. And I'm like, Hmm, my attraction to that kind of image made me want to read the article. And the article was about how these two parks here, Acadia National Park and Baxter were trying to get dark sky status with the International Dark Sky Association. And I didn't know about any of that. And I'm like, why? Why would they want to do that? And so my interest sort of just led to a lot of research. And I thought, I, I think there's like a kid's book material here. I just see so many kids just looking at their phones. We all do. We're all guilty of only looking at our phones. We're not looking up. We're not looking down. We're not looking sideways. It's like we're just looking. 10 inches at our phone. And so that was kind of my, my impetus was just, I do kids even care if there are stars in the sky, you know? So I felt that that was what I wanted to get across. I did do a lot of research that was about, you know, our own circadian rhythms and nocturnal animals and, and lots of stuff about light pollution. But in the end, I felt like it had to be distilled in a way that just would make kids want to go outside, that it wasn't going to be, I didn't want it to be a preachy, a preachy kind of book and too much about nonfiction issues. So I added some of that material to the back, you know, that if anybody really wants to go a little deeper with it, there's, there's what's called as back matter, you know, so that schools and libraries could go to that nonfiction material, but that the body of the story is really just about a boy that you know, wants to see the Milky Way and his mother makes it happen. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about this main character. 
I did sort of picture him in my mind. He's not a real kid, but the boy all along just struck me as just being really curious and really determined and, you know, full of wonderment. And that's what, you know, that's what we all kind of need to appreciate the stars and just to get outside and look for them and start to get familiar with the night sky. And I love your blog and your website. It just really covers all those points of um, my message. So you just mentioned a word that I think we need to capture the essence of uh, today. And that's that, the idea of wonderment. Mm-hmm. I love that so much because today, you know, you've talked about kids, well, not just kids, even us as adults, we're always looking down at our phones. We're always, you know, in front of our computers. We don't really go out a lot, especially at night and Mm -hmm. engage with nature at night. Mm -hmm. And so it seems like so much of what we do and so much of what our kids are doing is just getting these constant dopamine hits, you know, whether it's interacting with social media or their video games or whatever, there's these constant little hits of dopamine. And yet the part they're missing out on the most is that sense of wonderment. And -hmm. you can't get that Mm -hmm. through a digital device. You can't, Mm -hmm. you can't get that really, unless you're out in nature, I Mm -hmm. think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's true. When I was working on the book, I wanted to go visit like the the dark the place where the dark sky park has been you know between me starting to work on the book and it coming out um the you know Appalachian Mountain Club got their 100 mile woods designated as a, as a dark sky preserve by the International Dark Sky Association and so I went up there with my family in the summer and was just really eager to see more stars than we can see here, you know? And it just, it's so cool and so amazing that there is this sense of you feel like kind of humbled and you're, you know, you feel small maybe under this bowl of of infinite um, stars, but there's something really, I don't know, deeply satisfying about it that I don't think you can really just tell somebody about, they have to experience it themselves. So I, you know, my point of the book was really just to make that feel like you want it, you want to go do it. You want to go chase those, those same, you know, um, moments with the Milky Way. It's a beautiful book. I really can't wait for people to get their hands on it. And I think adults are going to like it just as much as the kids, you know, if they sit down and read to their their kids, their grandkids, their nieces or nephews. I think they're going to enjoy it. I think they're going to love your artwork. You know, I, it's not real often that we come across people who do their own artwork too. And this is just beautiful. I love that you've included, you know, the moths and the deer and the owls because they're all impacted by light pollution too. So it's great to bring that into your story. The book Ada and the Galaxies was written by Alan Lightman and Olga Pastichev. But for this interview, I had great fun chatting with the book's illustrator, Susanna Chapman. One of the things I love about this book is how the character, Ada, wants to see the stars, but she has to wait for night to come. The story follows her as she explores nature by day, But then comes the awe and the curiosity from sitting under the starry night sky. Susanna's illustrations are unique, 
but I'm going to let her tell you about them. Susanna, thank you for joining me on the Night Sky Tourist podcast to talk about a beautiful book that you've illustrated called Ada and the Galaxies. Welcome. Thank you so much, Vicki. I'm happy to be here. So the first thing I really want to ask you, because I'm not, I don't consider myself to be an artist. So when I look at children's books, which always feature amazing illustrations, I'm always curious about that person's journey to becoming an illustrator. What's your story? Well, that is a very kind question. I did always love uh, drawing pictures and art supplies were my favorite toys. And then also children's books specifically were a safe little space to have feelings. I felt like, um, you know, there's that book, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. And that is just, was a such a fascinating to be a kid and see that and just like, this is a kid being really grumpy and angry and, or the, or like the sadness of the Velveteen Rabbit, the curious, like having feelings of curiosity, like in um, the, the snowy day or um, feeling loved in the runaway bunny and silly one of a silly book that I loved was Edward Lear's book of nonsense. And those were just places that I like to go in my mind. And I loved to be there. And then as I grew older, that just continued to be true. And there would be new books that would come out that I felt like these are still the best books. I mean, I love all kinds of books, but as I grew, I, I continued to love children's books. And so I just was always drawing and enjoyed feeling inspired by, by the picture books that I loved and like, Oh, the more recent one that is um, me and my fear by Frenchie Sana is I, I got to meet her this past week at the society of illustrators. And that was really exciting. And so that's a more recent book. So I think like my young self would have loved this book, but as it is about that young self is still in me and I still love this. And so those books really, those kind of books in, really inspire me to be a creator as well. It sounds to me that you wouldn't, you wouldn't have not been an illustrator of children's books. Oh, really? Oh man. That's a compliment that I will receive gratefully. I, I did work as a book designer for a long time um, that for, for 10 years, I worked at different publishing companies and love, you know, as I had said, I always loved drawing, but the idea of being a freelance artist was very intimidating. And so we're, and I, I liked working on a team and, and in that role, I worked with illustrators. And so I learned a lot from doing that, that particular job. How did you get involved with this book, Add It in the Galaxies? Well, I did used to work at Candlewick as a book designer and I worked in a, a very different capacity. I worked on the Candlewick Entertainment imprint, which are like the Peppa Pig books and Peg Plus Cat books and pop-up books, Lift the Flap books. And so I was a very different kind of role, but I I was always drawing stuff. Um, and publishing companies often do is they offer illustrators to the author to be like, who do you think it would be a good artist to realize your, you know, illustrate the story that you're wanting to tell. And so I know that from that process that 
that um, the author, Alan Lightman, thought that I would be a good fit, which I felt very honored to hear. And at the time I was, I was kind of doing these funny things with photos and drawing over photos. So maybe that had to do with it because I do know that from the beginning, it was the author's intent to use the um, the Hubble space photos along with traditional illustrations. So maybe that, maybe that had something to do with it. So that's an interesting thing about this book that's different than a lot of children's books that I see. Mm-hmm. And that's that you have combined real images from the Hubble telescope, which are always mm-hmm. so deeply awe-inspiring and people love to look at them. But you've taken those images and you have overlaid your own illustrations over the top of them. So is that how the idea was sparked? Just knowing that the author originally was going to use real images? Yeah, it was it, from the beginning, the arts director had said, we have these photos and we'd like to use them in some capacity. And so it was then a interesting, fun challenge to figure out how to do that. And obviously they are looking at the book, but also this book of galaxies but then also living within them at certain points and I also there's a line in the story where the character of Poobah who is also based on Alan Lightman it's his his own story with his granddaughter where he she asks him um are there um what, what was I? I can't remember it now or like they've they've explored earlier that day and she says are there like is there moss and are there crabs in other universes and in other galaxies and he says oh I'm that could be maybe that everything in the universe is made of the same stuff and so I did like bringing in some elements of the photos in ways that are a little more subtle like in the beginning there's a scene of her in a busy city or looking out a window at a busy city and I did use some of the light from some of those later galaxies in there, just to have a little poetic uh, continuation of the wonders of the galaxies that we're in are, are present. And we're, to a degree, we are made of the same things that make stars and that kind of fun stuff. I was just having a conversation with my family the other night. We all went to dinner for my son's birthday and we were talking about that whole idea that Everything that we know that exists, including our own bodies, only exists because a star exploded. <laughs> it's yeah. such a profound idea. It's pretty, pretty overwhelming, pretty baffling, pretty, pretty wonderful, pretty kooky. <laughs> yeah. So without us giving the story away, give listeners mm. a brief glimpse about the story. Oh, sure. Well, it is a story about this young girl named Ada, who is from a busy city and like you, like you um, near Phoenix. And she loves the stars. She loves to see the night sky. But because of the light from the city, she doesn't see it so much until she gets to visit her grandparents. And so she and her mom make this trek up to Maine where there are not big city lights and to a little island where her grandparents live. And initially she's so excited to return and see the, see the stars, but it's daytime. And so it's not time for that yet. And so in, um, instead of that, that she and her grandfather do some things like they go kayaking and they marvel at other things that are that are nearby around them like little crabs little shells little 
mosses and lichens and stones and all the, all the wild things that you see in the ocean that are it's in a way almost as mysterious as the things out in the out in the sky that are that come from the depths of the ocean and uh and then there comes a frustrating moment at night which is it becomes very foggy and so this thing that she's been looking forward to all day is still out of reach and she's very frustrated about that and grandfather Pooh has a um a temporary solution of let's look at some pictures of galaxies and so they he explains some really cool facts that are all very true based on real real things about galaxies that are in the book and she tries to wrap her head around some of those things and some of them are so overwhelmingly wild that it is really wild like she wants to go she wants to know how big a galaxy is that she looks at that's a that's looks like a crab and he explains it is 10 million million billion times bigger than the crabs that you saw today so there's those kind of wild things and then the story takes a turn that I won't spoil here but (laughs) some other things happen too and I, I love the part about how it does start in the daytime and because really when we go outside at night, it's about the stars, but nature is still all around us. And so, you know, spending time outside in nature at night is just a continuation of the daytime. Although it's also fun because so many of the daytime critters have gone to sleep and we get Mm -hmm. to hear the sounds and see the sights of, of new things. So I'm Mm -hmm. curious, Susanna, what message do you hope that kids get from this book? Wow. I, I think that, um, it's a fun story that there, you could take a lot of different things from it. Uh, something that I, that I take from it is that there's a lot in life that is really big, that's beyond our ability to understand. And so those things that I mentioned before about how huge a galaxy is, is just kind of impossible to understand and even another part where she wants to spin around on a galaxy and Pupa explains that you'd be going a million miles an hour if you did that and just even the idea that we talked about that you're made of the same stuff as stars is pretty wild and then there are some other concepts that are also hard to understand but a little bit more familiar like when it's really frustrating that you can't see a thing that you're really looking forward to and I, the a notion that I found in the story is that those, those big things are things that we can hold, hold, even if we don't understand them, if we are with people we love and if we love other people and we hold those things together. <laughs> so that's, that's one thing I, I, I hope that people take from it, young people take from it. And I also put in, put in some little fun things to see, like in the end papers, there are um, a lot of different things in nature that to me have starry things about them. Sort of like what you were saying that the, the wonderful things that are far away are also the elements of them are, are all around us all the time. And, um, and then some other really fun poetic things like in studying to do this story, I, looked at mussel shells close up and it occurred to me that a mussel shell that is has been in the ocean a long time and tossed around 
really looks a lot like a galaxy. And so I, on the, on like the last, the back matter of the page, I included one. It just looks like a little, a little snapshot of the galaxy. And I've never so thought of that, but it does. It's got like a little spiral shape in there. Oh, that's yeah, it's cool. almost like, it's almost like a little joke. Like, <laughs> like here's this boundless thing that you can't understand. And here's a little piece of it. And so there's, there's little visual things like that, that are just fun that I, I, as a kid loved, loved in books. Well, Susanna, thank you so much for joining us and sharing with us about Ada and the galaxies. And we will have the link for that in the show notes so that people can get their hands on it. Thank you so much, Vicki, for having me to share about it. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I'm giving away the entire bundle of these five books to just one lucky winner. That's a value of over $88 for one random winner. Getting your name in the drawing is super easy. Go to nightskytourist.com slash giveaway and fill out the short form. That's it. It's that easy. The drawing will take place on Monday, December 12, 2022 at noon Mountain Standard Time. I'll notify the winner and ship the books the same day so they arrive in time for holiday gift giving. Again, that's nightskytours.com slash giveaway. You can also go to the show notes and click on the link there. These five books are by no means the only great books for kids with a night sky theme. I have many more great ones sitting on my bookshelf. If you visit nightskytours.com slash 54, You'll find links to the books featured in this episode in addition to other children's books that I recommend. Give the kids in your life the gift of the night sky and watch them fall in love with the dark. Again, that's nightskytourist.com slash 54. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Night Sky Tourist Podcast. If you enjoy the Night Sky Tourist Podcast, please show your support by subscribing to it in your podcatcher and leave a written review. Your reviews are really important to me and they help others discover the podcast. Be sure to visit nightskytourist.com for great articles and resources. And while you're there, sign up for the newsletter for exclusive content. We'll see you here again in two weeks. Until then, keep looking up.